to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth, one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Luke, chapter 21, verse 1, as we follow along with today's lesson. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. He said, and boy, this is so right. Because they knew God, they didn't glorify God as God, neither were they thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. I mean, how did our eye develop according to the evolutionary uh, concept? Well, when the little worm had come out of the ooze, as it was crawling on the ground, the sun beat upon its upper side formed a little mutation, sort of a freckle. And gradually, over a period of time, that freckle turned into an eye. And the little worm was able to see. (laughs) Crawling over the rocks, it, you know, sort of cut itself and sort of formed calluses, and the calluses grew into legs, and you had a salamander. (laughs) So now you have little legs, and you can walk, and you have eyes, and you can see few more billion years, you know, and you'll be able to stand upright and you'll be able to think and be able to do calculus and build computers and all, you know. Just give enough time. (laughs) Vain in their imaginations. (laughs) Their foolish hearts were darkened and professing themselves to be wise, they actually became fools. For the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the only reason why the evolutionary theory has any acceptance at all is because it gives man a highly imaginative uh, cause for man's existence apart from God. In other words, we just evolved out of the nothingness of the past. They changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image that was made like corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts that they might dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Because they changed the truth of God into a lie and they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Today, we have a very strong movement of the worship of Mother Earth, the Gia principle, that the the Earth itself is alive. It's an organism that is alive and, and all. And so we are to respect Mother Earth. We're to worship Mother Earth. And we're to... Uh, all of the environmentalists, that's all from Hinduism. God created it 
for us, for our blessing. Not for us to destroy, but to take care of it, yes, but not to worship. For this cause, God gave them up. That's pretty strong words. God gave them over, and now God gives them up. Up to vile affections. Now, this, you see, is is when man turns from God, invents these fanciful theories to try to explain his existence apart from God, doesn't want God, and so God gives them over to reprobate minds. God gives them up to their vile lusts and affections, and thus you have a whole breakdown in your society. And, and as a result of this breakdown, you have murders, you have gang warfare, you have a disrespect for life and all. Well, let's find what Paul has to say. God gave them over to vile affections, for even the women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, began to burn in their lust towards each other. Men with men, doing that which is unthinkable and receiving in, them, in themselves the recompense of their error, which was uh, fit for what they were doing. Now you read of the practices that are going on in the homosexual community. The fisting, the scatting, and things of that nature. And what has happened to them? Paul said was just fit. In some of these bathhouses and all. Oh, I, I don't. Let's just go on. It, it's sickening. And the body wasn't made for that, wasn't intended for that. And when you introduce that much foreign protein in your body system, all of it is different, and your body has to build up an immunity against the foreign protein that comes into the system. And in building up the immunity, they've actually just destroyed the immunal system. And that's where the HIV comes, the destruction of the immunal system because of its trying to uh, process and build the antibodies for the, the, the multitude of different proteins that have been introduced into the body and, and the body just isn't capable, the system just breaks down and fails to function and, and thus uh, that's really uh, the problem that we have. And, and Paul said men working with men and, and receiving the reward which is fitting for what they have done and have been doing. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate minds, to do those things that aren't convenient or uh, thinkable, being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy and murder and debate and deceit and malignity. They're backbiters. They hate God. They're despiteful. They're proud. They're boasters. They're inventors of evil things. They even have shops now selling these kind of things. Disobedient to parents without understanding. They are covenant breakers without natural affection. When a mother can 
send her car down a slope into a lake with two little babies in their car seats. That's without natural affection. Implacable. When a man can pull up in, with a van and blow up a building and, and not regarding the, the lives that are there, that's without natural affection. God didn't build us that way. You, you've got to come to that kind of a mindset that would do something like that that is, is just hard for us to even imagine. They're unmerciful. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which do such things are worthy of destruction. Not only do they do the same, but they take pleasure in those that do them. Pleasure in those that do them. That's the thing I want to sort of push right now. How many of you love violence on TV? How many of you love seeing adulterous love scenes? You see, if you enjoy that, if that's, you know, you really, oh man, a great movie, you know, they had all kinds of shootings and killings, and boy, you could just see the blood pouring out, you know, and all. Hey, you're taking pleasure in, in those that do such things. Now you say, well, I'd never do that. But, but you see, what's happening is our minds are being uh, calloused against these things. It gets to where uh, y- your mind gets so calloused and hardened that when it happens, um, you just sort of pass it off. The condition of our world today is a direct result of man not glorifying God as God, putting God out, not wanting God to be a part of their lives or of the national life. It's a rebellion against God. It's worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. And thus, God's wrath is one day very soon going to be poured out against those that do such things. And so Jesus is speaking of these conditions here in Luke 21 of the judgment of God that is going to come against those that are doing such things, cataclysmic judgments. And so Jesus tells us that when there are these signs in the heavens, on the earth, he said, there will be distress of nations with perplexity. Let me give you another translation. National problems with no solutions. That's exactly where we are today. We have a national problem of drugs, drug trafficking, and we have no solutions. Do you know that in most cities today, if you call the police department because a drug party's going on next door, they won't respond? They just say, well, we're after those that are dealing the drugs. We've got too many of these cases, we can't even respond to it. That's in many cities already. They don't even attempt to respond to those that are using drugs, just trying to get the traffickers. But there seems to be no solution. We have gang warfare that is going on every week in Orange County. There are several people being shot in gang wars. And there seems to be no solution. We have 
runaway spending by the government. And there seems to be no solution. So many problems. We have a breakdown in in the social order, a breakdown of the family. Uh, Divorce is so easy and uh, adultery so prevalent. It seems to be there's no solution. All of the single moms trying to raise families or children being raised by single parents, there seems to be no solution. And that itself, in itself brings other social problems. And so on the earth there's distress of nations with perplexity or national problems with no solutions. And the sea and the waves roaring. Uh, what we see now is not what Jesus is talking about. This is a precursor of things that are to come. We're seeing the beginning of it, though. This is the beginning of it. The worst is yet to come, but we're seeing the beginning. And thus men's hearts, failing them for fear and for looking after those things which were coming upon the earth, for the powers of heaven are going to be shaken. And we've read about that in the other prophets. And then shall they see, you see, immediately after the tribulation of those days, they'll see the Son of Man coming in power and glory. So then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Coming in the cloud, I believe, is a reference not to the clouds that are in the sky, but coming with the cloud, that is, the cloud of witnesses, which in Hebrews chapter 12 are the saints of God seeing we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses. And uh, behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Paul, writing to Colossians, said, And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we will appear with him in glory. Revelation 17, uh, when Jesus comes, he sees him riding on a white horse, and the armies that came with him. Uh, And, of course, we read in the Old Testament prophets, too, coming with the saints uh, to establish God's kingdom upon the earth. And when these things, now notice this one, when these things begin to come to pass, they have begun. No denial. They've begun to come to pass. We haven't seen the fullness yet, but they've begun. When these things begin to come to pass, Jesus said, look up, lift up your head, it's close. Your redemption is getting close. It's time for we, the body of Christ, to begin to look up and lift up our head. It's getting close. The Lord is coming. I believe that prior to the great tribulation, Jesus is going to take his church out of this world. That is why I think Jesus is saying here, when it begins to come to pass, you look up, you lift up your head, your redemption is close. The Bible over and over tells us that we have not been appointed unto wrath. Isaiah tells us that this time is reserved for the wicked and for the sinners. The time of God's indignation against the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who have held the truth of God in unrighteousness. Paul said, I'm going to show you a mystery, a truth of God that hasn't been revealed before, but we're not all of us going to die, but we're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. 
Paul tells us, for the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Harpuzo. Translated into Latin is raptus. Snatched away by force. To meet them together in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort, he said, one another with these words. So, when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your head. Now he spoke to them a parable in regards to this. He said, Behold a fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and you know of your own selves that summer is now close at hand. When you see the, the trees beginning to bud, you know that summer is coming. Summer is close at hand. So likewise, you, when you see these things come to pass, when you start seeing these events, know that the kingdom of God is near at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all of these things be fulfilled. This generation could refer to the Jews, and if that is so, it's true, they have not passed away. Miraculously, they survived uh, 2,000 years without a homeland. Or it could refer to the generation that sees the beginning of these things, such as Jerusalem no longer trodden under the foot of the Gentiles. Jesus said, now heaven and earth are going to pass away but my words will not pass away. And he's affirming the, the certainty of the things that he said. It's interesting, when Daniel gave his prophecies, he said, and the word is sure. I mean, he, he confirmed, hey, this is the, these are the true sayings of God. And, and he, he affirms it. And Jesus now is affirming, this, this is, this, this is going to happen. Heaven and earth may pass, but my words, they're going to happen. They're going to be fulfilled. So now, warnings from Jesus and exhortation. The warning. Take heed to yourself, lest at any time your hearts be so filled with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life so that the day will come upon you unaware. Be careful that you don't get so caught up in the worldly things, in the world system that you neglect your walk with the Lord. You get so involved in, in the things of the world, eking out a living, that you begin to neglect your spiritual relationship with God. For Jesus said, as a snare or a trap shall it come on all of them that dwell on the face of the earth. That is, we can be trapped so easily into giving our attention, mind, and heart over to the physical things which are going to pass away. So be careful that you don't get so deeply involved in the material things of the world. Paul the Apostle in the seventh chapter of Corinthians uh, writes to them that the time is short so that they that are married should live as though they were not married. That is, uh, in context, 
Those that are married seek how they might please their wife, but those that aren't married seek to please God. So he's just saying you need to seek to please God more than anything else. He said we really don't have any time to enjoy our joys or to really weep over our sorrows or to possess our possessions. He said, let your every contact with the world be just as light as possible, for the Lord is at hand. That's Philip's translation of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I like Philip's translation of that very much. Let your every contact with the world be just as light as possible. We have to live in the world, but don't get rooted. Don't you know, hang loose. Uh, be ready when the Lord comes. So Jesus said, blessed is that servant when the Lord comes, he finds him watching. For surely the Lord will, will give him all that he has. So the importance of, of, of not getting caught up in the material things of the world. Watch ye therefore. Now the exhor- exhortation of Jesus. Watch therefore and pray always. Time for prayer. Time for watching. The Lord's coming is close. Watch and be praying. Praying what? First of all, that you'll be accounted worthy to escape these things that are going to come to pass. That is the things of the great tribulation, the cataclysmic judgments of God, the upheaval of the earth and and the darkening of the skies and all. Pray that you'll be accounted worthy to escape these things when the wrath of God is poured out upon the earth. As they say in the Revelation, for his, the day of his wrath has come, who shall be able to stand? The answer is nobody. When God begins to judge, it's going to fall on all. So pray that you'll be accounted worthy to escape the things that are coming to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. In other words, pray that when this happens down here, you'll be up there in heaven around the throne of God with the saints of God declaring worthy is the Lamb to take the scroll and loose the seals for he was slain and has redeemed us by his blood out of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people and made us unto our God kings and priests and we will reign with him on the earth. Pray that you'll be in that crowd rather than in the crowd down here. And if he told me to, believe me, I'll do it. And I do it. I pray, Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from all sin. Thank you for the righteousness of Christ that you've imputed to me because of my simple faith and trust in Jesus. And thus I know, Lord, by your grace, I will be accounted worthy. And I'll be standing there in that heavenly throng singing with all my heart of the worthiness of the Lamb who loved me, who gave himself for me, that I might have eternal life. And, and so Luke sort of just closes out this chapter by giving us a little bit of information, saying, in the daytime he was teaching in the temple. At night he went out and, and abode or stayed in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. He had a place over there in the Mount of Olives where he and his disciples would spend the night together, probably build a little fire, eat, talk, pray, and sleep there in the Mount of Olives. Uh, That's why Judas was able to lead uh, the soldiers of the high priest uh, to the Mount of Olives to arrest Jesus because uh, he knew the place where Jesus was staying 
with his disciples there on the Mount of Olives. And all of the people, Luke tells us, came early in the morning uh, to the temple in order to hear Jesus as he was teaching daily there in the temple. Interesting, interesting things. May we give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, the book of Hebrews tells us, lest at any time we should drift away from them. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how are we going to escape if we neglect the great salvation that God has offered to us through Jesus Christ? You don't have to go through the wrath of God. You don't have to face the wrath of God against your sins. God is offering you pardon and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But if you neglect that great salvation, there will be no escape for you. But only as the book of Hebrews said, that fearful certain looking forward to the fiery indignation and the wrath of God by which his adversaries will be destroyed. Pray always, Jesus said. Watch and pray. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. So Luke tells us, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, as Moses explains for us the Jewish feast, we read that on the 14th day of the first month, they were to celebrate the feast of Passover. And it was to be a memorial feast by which they commemorated God's passing through Egypt and slaying the firstborn in order that the Pharaoh might be convinced to allow the children of Israel to leave. And God made provision for the children of Israel that wherever they would place the blood of the lamb on the lintels or the doorposts of their house, when God passed through and killed the firstborn, where the blood was seen upon the lintels and doorposts, the Lord would pass over that house so that the firstborn would not be slain. Hence the word Passover. On the 15th day, that was the 14th day of the first month, on the 15th day began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this was a seven-day feast. The first day of the feast and the last day of the feast were Sabbath days. And they were to be observed as the regular weekly Sabbath day. Now, the Passover feast, as were all of the feast, not only commemorating what God had done, the acknowledgement of God's goodness and grace, but they were each one of them anticipatory. The feast of the Passover was looking forward, as well as looking backward at the Lamb in Egypt, it was also looking forward to the Lamb of God who would be slain for the sins of the world. 
And thus Jesus fulfilled the Passover feast. When Paul was writing to the Colossians in chapter 2, speaking of their Sabbath days, their new moons, their, their holidays, he said, these all were a shadow of the things that were going to come, but the real substance is Jesus. These things were a foreshadowing. Jesus is the substance. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread was getting close. That began the 15th, but the day before was the Feast of the Passover, and so it was called the Feast of the Passover. This whole general time was called the Feast of the Passover, though the Feast of Unleavened Bread was worked in with it. So uh, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was getting close, which is called the Passover. They're tied together. And the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might kill Jesus, but they feared the people. So they were looking for some way to arrest Jesus and to get him on the cross before the people really realized what was going on. Uh, they, they were uh, true politicians in a sense that uh, they were very concerned with the opinion of the people. Uh, they wanted to remain in office and thus uh, they, they sought to do their deeds in such a way as as not to rile the people. And we read, Then Satan entered in to Judas, who was surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered with the twelve. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus, early on in his ministry, said, Have I not chosen twelve of you, but one of you is the devil? John also tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning who it was that was going to betray him. John also tells us that Peter was more or less the treasurer of the group. He paid the bills. And uh, we, we read that when that woman poured on Jesus that expensive perfume, he said, well, why this waste? We could have sold this for a lot of money and given it to the poor. But John said it wasn't that he was interested in the poor. Uh, he was keeping the money and he had been thieving out of it. So he was um, embezzling uh, the funds. So at this point, we read that Satan entered into Judas. And he went his way and communed with the chief priest and the captains how he might betray Jesus unto them. And they were glad and they coveted to give him money and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the crowds. Now going back to the previous chapter, in the last couple of verses, in the daytime, Jesus was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and stayed at the Mount of Olives, uh, and the people came early in the morning to hear him in the temple. 
So the crowds were listening to Jesus. They would gather early to hear him. He would come and during the day teach in the temple. At night he would go out and stay at the Mount of Olives. So Judas knew the place that Jesus was staying on the Mount of Olives. And thus he went to the priest and he struck a deal with them that he would betray Jesus unto them at an opportune moment. Back in the Old Testament, the prophecy of Zechariah, he made a very interesting and remarkable prophecy concerning the betrayal of Jesus. Chapter 11, beginning with verse 12. And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Amazing, remarkable prophecy some 500 years before Judas Iscariot crucified the Lord. I mean, betrayed the Lord, uh, which led to his crucifixion. Can you imagine prophesying something that's going to happen in the year 2500 with that kind of accuracy? You're prophesying concerning a man that will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. They would then take that silver and throw it in the house of the Lord, and then use it to buy a potter's field. You say, well, impossible. Of course it is. It's divine. It's proof of divine revelation. And so there came the day of unleavened bread, that is, they were coming close to the beginning of that feast. They were approaching it when the Passover must be killed. Uh, the Passover feast preceded the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so, but it was all a part of it. So the day was coming when they would kill the Passover. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare for the Passover that we might eat. And they said unto him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you who is bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he enters. And you shall say to the good man of the house, The master says unto you, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room that's furnished, and there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover to get all of the things set for the Passover, to get the meal all prepared, to have all of the uh, aspects of the Passover meal, those reminders of uh, the bondage in Egypt, the slavery, uh, the hard uh, work, the tears, 
uh, all of these symbolic portions of the uh, Passover, they were to prepare them that on that evening, which began the Passover, because again, remember, the Jewish days begin at sundown. The, the, <laughs> we're already into Monday as far as the Jews are concerned. Uh, it began at sundown. And uh, so it goes, their days go from sundown to sundown. Arts go from midnight to midnight. So uh, the, the Passover day had begun. Jesus ate the Passover feast with his disciples. He was crucified before the day was over so that Jesus was crucified on the day of the Passover, which was also the preparation for this Sabbath day that would come as the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So uh, very significant plan of God that his son would be crucified on the day of Passover where, again, they were remembering the lamb that was slain, the blood put upon the littles and doorposts, so the lamb of God to be slain, so that those that seek protection in him, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have passed from death unto life. We are spared death through our faith in Jesus Christ. That is spiritual death, the second death. Not the first death. God never promised that you were going to live forever in these corrupting bodies. Um, thank God for that. It's, <laughs> I would hate to think of living in another <laughs> even 25 years in this body. I, I, no. <laughs> as, as Paul said, we who are in these bodies do often groan earnestly desiring to be freed, not to be an unembodied spirit. I'm anxious for the new model. <laughs> I want to be clothed upon with the building of God, not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. Um, so when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles, and he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I really longed to eat this Passover with you. He knew this was the last. This was the last real observance of the Passover. This is what the Passover was looking forward to, anticipating all of the hundreds of years, the centuries that they have been observing the Passover, it was always looking forward to this Passover. This is, this is it. And with, so with desire or great longing, I've been longing to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, from what it would appear, Jesus ate the meal with them, but then it came to the breaking of the bread. And he said, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This feast is about to be fulfilled. 
The next day he'll be hanging on the cross as the Lamb of God giving himself as a sacrifice for man's sin. And thus he said, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup, and this was the final cup of the Passover feast, and it was known as the cup of joy. And he gave to them the cup after giving thanks, and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. So again, pointing to the fact that this is, this is to be fulfilled. On the next day, this whole ceremony of the Passover will have its fulfillment and a true understanding of the meaning. And so he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them saying, this is my body given for you and this do in remembrance of me. And likewise also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So he's giving now a new meaning to the elements of the communion. No longer are you to be reminded of the lamb that was slain in Egypt and God's deliverance when the blood was on the doorpost. But from now on, you're to remember the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world. And by the application of the blood of Jesus Christ on your life, you've passed from death to life. The, Jesus said, but behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man is going as it was determined. Peter, when he spoke of their crucifying Jesus, he said, and you, according to the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God with your wicked hands, have crucified and slain. In other words, it's been determined. Uh, it, it is, it's not being determined by the, the priests who are now conspiring and Judas. That's not where the determination was made. The determination was made back before the world was ever created. Christ was crucified, we read, from the foundations of the earth. It was always God omniscient, knowing all things. From the beginning, before he created man, new man would fail, but would designed, he had designed to manifest his love by the sending of his son and according to the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. It's all a part of God's divine foreknowledge. And so the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, not a part of God's plan, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. You see, there is also a responsibility. God's purposes are going to be accomplished. And we can become instruments through which God's purposes are accomplished. Or we can refuse to be instruments through which God's purposes are accomplished. When the Jewish nation was facing extermination during their captivity under the Persian Empire, when Esther had become the queen, 
and Haman had determined to put the Jews to death because of his absolute hatred of uh, Mordecai, when Mordecai sent his message into Esther to let her know of the decree that Haman had the king sign, encouraging her to go to the king and to seek a reprieve from the edict that had set the day for the Jews to be exterminated. And she sent back and said, you don't understand the protocol of the king's court. You just don't go in, even though I'm his wife. I don't just go in unless he bids me to come. And if I go in without being bidden, the guards will put even me to death unless he raises the scepter to stop them. Nobody just comes into the king without being bidden. And Mordecai sent back and he said, do you think that if this edict goes through that you're going to escape even though you're there in the palace? He said, but if you fail at this time, their deliverance will arise from another quarter. In other words, God is going to accomplish his purpose. God's going to accomplish that which he plans to accomplish. Now, I can be God's instrument and be used of God in accomplishing those purposes. But if I'm not, then God will raise up another instrument. God is not going to stop his purposes just because of, of the frailty of a human being. And so with Judas, it was determined. Judas, I don't believe, had to be an instrument, but he had opened the door. He allowed Satan to come in, and now he was acting as an instrument of Satan. And Jesus said concerning him, better for him had he never been born. So Jesus said, the one who is going to betray me is sitting here at the table. Truly, the Son of Man is going as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them would do this thing. It's interesting to me that they really didn't seem to suspicion Judas. When Jesus said that, uh, they, they sort of, all of them realized that, you know, they began to say, Lord, is it I? I don't know my own heart. Could I do such a thing? Lord, is it I? And to me, it's interesting that they didn't, they didn't say, hmm, hmm. You know, I've been suspicious of Judas all the way along. You know, he just hasn't quite fit in the group. I mean, he just, you know, always. Have you noticed Judas? You know, I mean, they didn't immediately say, "Oh yeah," you know. <laughs> and that that is interesting. They they began to look at themselves. Lord, is it I? But right in this solemn moment there was also a strife among them. Not only uh, the questioning of who it was, but the strife among them of which would be accounted the greatest. Now, can you imagine this at this point? What he's talking about is death. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be suffering. I'm not going to eat of the bread until I eat it anew in the kingdom or drink of the uh, vine until I drink of it you know, in the kingdom. And here they are now arguing with each other again, striving with each other as 
to who was going to be the greatest when his kingdom was set up. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. That, that's a trait of the heathen, the exercising of lordship over people. And he said, they that exercise the authority upon them are called benefactors. <laughs> they're not, but they're called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. That's what the heathen are like. But that shall not be among you. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as a younger person. Now, in that society, the older ones always controlled the situation. The younger were always there as Servants. They were in a uh, tutoring kind of a thing, uh, learning how to rule, learning how to govern, serving those who were governing. But Jesus said, let the greatest among you be as one who is younger, who is serving. And he that is chief, as he that does serve. John tells us that at this point, or just before this, Jesus had washed their feet. And he said, do you see what I've done? And they said, yes. He said, you call me Master and Lord, and, and that's correct, I am. But if I, being your Master and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's. He that would be chief, let him be the servant of all. That's the order that Jesus gave for the church. The hierarchy that has been established is so unbiblical. The, the setting on pedestals, the building of ivory towers, that attitude that we so often see manifested in the ministry of being a little above, and thus to be catered to is so absolutely wrong. Jesus said, you're going to be chief, then be the servant of all. So important in the ministry. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Luke on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the greatest in the kingdom. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Luke 21 through 22 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. 
If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Lord, thank you for the warnings. Thank you that you've not left us to grope in darkness, but you've laid out the plan so that as we look at our world conditions, we can know exactly where we are. We don't need to be confused about the issues that are confusing the people of the world today, nor do we need to be dismayed or cringing in fear, because, Lord, we see that you're right on schedule and you're going right according to plan. And as we see these things beginning to come to pass, some of them getting into advanced stages, help us, Lord, to look up and lift up our heads because our redemption is getting close. Lord, As you said to John, behold, I come quickly, and John responded, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So we respond, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Bring to an end the sorrow, the pain, the hatred, the bitterness of this world system, and bring in, Lord, your everlasting kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Shall we stand? It's really wonderful that the Lord has left us the guidebook so that we do not walk in darkness as do others. As Paul said, you are the children of light. So don't walk in darkness as do others, but walk as children of the light. No excuse for us. We know the truth. God has given to us that truth. But with the truth then comes the responsibility. They who knew the will of God and did not accordingly will be beaten, the Lord said, with many stripes. Yet those who did things that were worthy of many stripes because they didn't know the will will be beaten with few. Unto them much is given, much is required. Help. May God help us to watch, to be ready, and to pray always be in prayer. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you. Keep looking up as we wait for the any time catching away of God's church. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It's with great honor that the Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's book entitled Prayer, Our Glorious Privilege. With great clarity, Pastor Chuck masterfully taught the principles of praying to God our Father and emphasized the power that belongs to each one of us when we rely on the Holy Spirit to guide and nurture our prayer lives. I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, 
prayer, our glorious privilege, and study it to put these biblical principles into practice. Read this book and come to the most amazing realization that prayer is the most potent weapon in your spiritual arsenal, and use it with great promise and hope. For when you begin a life of prayer, you begin a great adventure. To order a copy of this book in print or to download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.